0: Thanks so much for listening.
1: There's a reasonable chance we can't help you, but we know more about it than you do. (laughs) And it's financially risk-free and nobody else is going to help you, you know, at all. And and it wasn't because I was trying to make a bunch of money at that price point because we weren't. I mean, we were going to lose money at that price point, but we were going to lose a small amount of money, right? Um, And we were going to learn the process. We were going to get exposure to casework. My intention was never to make money in the first couple years. And in fact, we didn't.
0: Brian Gill is a computer scientist, entrepreneur and angel investor. Due to his firm belief that data recovery shouldn't be a prohibitively expensive service, something I agree with. Uh, Brian founded Gilware, where he and his team specializes in cyber risk assessment, data recovery, and incident response. Now, that is uh, a lot of uh, scary sounding stuff, but uh, during our conversation, he makes it sound um, a little bit less scary. I mean, it's scary if it happens to you, but understanding it is less scary. Uh, Today we actually spoke about his journey uh, in business growth as well as how to protect yourself from hackers. He provides actionable tips that you can put into practice today and some of the things he did to learn his chops in data recovery uh, especially were very interesting to me. So I'm uh, excited for you to hear this conversation of course after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ahoy, the easiest way to increase customer engagement on your WordPress site. Install Ahoy, create a message box, configure where to display it, and start seeing conversions come in. You can create messages for card abandonment, upsells and cross-sells, custom support, and so much more. Ahoy's flexible conditions let you choose exactly where and when you want your message to be displayed. I've recently installed it on my own WooCommerce site, and I've already seen increased engagement. And I know this because of Ahoy's powerful analytics and reporting. You will see ROI within days of installing Ahoy, if not sooner. And that's even more true for listeners of How I Built It. You can get an exclusive 20% discount on any plan. Visit useahoy.com slash it and use the code how i built it at checkout. That's useahoy.com, u U-S-E-A-H-O-Y, s slash o y, usahoy.com/how i built it and the discount code how i built it. Use those today. Increase your engagement and sales on your WordPress site. Thanks to Ahoy for their support of this show. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of How I Built It the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, My guest is Brian Gill. He is the chairman of Gillware. He is a computer scientist, entrepreneur, and angel investor. And today we are going to talk about cyber risk assessments, data privacy, incident responses, and all sorts of other fun and scary topics. Brian, how are you today? Thanks for coming on the show. So I I am interested in talking to you today because we really haven't had a guest talk about some of the topics that uh, we're going to talk about today, but why don't we start off a little bit with uh, who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So without going into my full backstory, um, I basically have surrounded myself with a bunch of really quality humans, and together for the last 16 years, my primary mission has been to help bail people out of data-related disasters, whether that's Bad guys infiltrating a network or data being stolen or a server crashing or a human making a mistake and accidentally deleting all the pictures of their wedding or baby photos. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a bunch of tech nerds who um, do everything we can to, to help people out of those crises. And then also, once they've kind of experienced those crises, we help them either you know, back their data up, or sometimes they'll hire us as, if they got hacked, they'll hire us as what we call like a part-time CISO or come in and do kind of monthly risk assessments to help them prevent the next attack. So, you know, it's just helping people
0: out of disasters. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as somebody who has lost all of his photos and music before all of our music was in the cloud, uh, or on a streaming service. Uh, I can definitely level with that. Like, after that happened to me, I made sure to get an external hard drive. And of course, today I have like a time machine on my Mac and Backblaze and a NAS and just like lots of things because I, I have been in that situation. Um, What I haven't been in is uh, a, well, what my company or my clients, knock on wood, uh, haven't really been involved in is stuff like a data breach. So it sounds like you do um, some of the more personal, like personal computing problems, right? Like data loss and recovery. The recovery side of our business, we
1: founded back in like 2004 and we, uh, that's the data recovery company and that company, it's a mix. You know, maybe forty percent of our clients are just normal people, consumers who lost their personal data on a laptop or they dropped their phone in a toilet or mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff. Um, maybe thirty percent are small business owners with maybe one to fifty employees and had a server crash or a chief executive or an accounting professional had a laptop hard drive crash or an SSD go bad. And then the other third is large corporate America, the government. You know, we've done recoveries for almost, I think, 80% of the federal bureaus. So it's Uh, pretty much everybody loses data. Yeah. Uh, You know, on the data breach side of things, uh, we almost would, I don't want to say never, but our average size client who got data breached is probably 100 to 500 employees. Maybe okay. sometimes even larger. So for the for the micro sized businesses who get breached, they're less likely to need a, an army of nerds to come in and, right. and dr- address that situation, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Uh, so you you serve all sorts of people doing all sorts of things, but I want to get I want to get back to the basics a little bit in your intro here. So uh, I also uh, I have my degree in, in computer science. I have a master's in software engineering, uh, and I went the web development path. I when I was in college and high school, I read like Kevin Mitnick's books, and I thought, man, I really want to do that. But I decided to go kind of the other route. What made you want to get into this particular field?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, so I got my computer science degree from University of Wisconsin, and that was like right before the first big tech bubble, the first big mm-hmm. Web 1.0. And yeah. I, I jumped on a plane and went out to the Silicon Valley and really wanted to play the startup game and joined a couple startups, one of them still around, um, that were you know involved with e-commerce and that kind of stuff, and you know, I was primarily on the back end development style, you know, database design and uh, things of that nature, and a lot of back end programming. I, I my forte was not my forte was not, you know, the kind of user experience. Although that's kind of changed over the years, um, you know, when the when that whole economy just imploded, and all you know, the valley was a horrible place. I mean, I would say 80% of my friends were out of work. Uh, I had a job, but it wasn't at a startup. It was at a bank. Um, so I had a job, but it wasn't the type of job that I moved out there for.
0: Right. So I
1: kind of tucked my tail between my legs and kind of said, well, if I'm going to work at a bank, I might as well do it in Wisconsin, where I'm from and where all my family is. And my brother had just had a couple kids, and I wanted to be there for that. And I just – and why pay the you know $3,000 a month in rent? <laughs> so yeah. I – I I tucked tail between my legs, humped back to Wisconsin and was just doing some consulting at some really boring, but wonderful companies, you know, like insurance companies and cheese manufacturers and all kinds of (laughs) weird stuff. And uh, I really wanted to start a company, right? But the economy was in the crapper. There was like a 0% chance of getting any kind of bank loan. So I knew I needed to do something that I could bootstrap. With like the 50 grand that I had saved up, you know, so whatever I was going to do, I needed to be able to get to revenue within my, within my budget, right? Because it just, I wasn't going to get any angel financing. I wasn't going to, you know, if you wanted like $50,000 angel financing for a new idea, they were going to take like half your business back then. It was just a horrible time to be an entrepreneur, So um, my brother Tyler, my younger brother Tyler was going to school at University of Wisconsin for his CS degree. He's about nine years younger than me. And uh, he had a hard drive crash. So he was trying to figure out, well, how do I get my stuff back? And he found like two companies in the whole US that, that advertised for it. And both of them wanted like $3,000. And that was like, again, back then, this was a college tuition for a semester or more. So he, he didn't exactly have the budget for that, and it kind of opened both our eyes to look, well, how, how hard could it be exactly, you know? Um, and it turns out it's pretty hard, but <laughs> we had the right circle of friends. We had one of my buddies was an electrical engineer. One of my buddies was a mechanical engineer. I had the computer science and kind of e-commerce background, and, you know, we kind of had all the pieces of the kind of academic puzzle. Mm-hmm. So... The next question is okay. So there's very few competitors, and the two that are out there that we could find were very prohibitively expensive. So could we start a company and for less than 50 grand learn enough about how to do this that we could serve that underserved part of the market? Right. And get out, get
0: it off the ground, and and that's kind of where it came from. And turns out we could. That's fantastic. Um... I love that. I have I have a similar story of how I got into web development. You know, essentially my church came to me and they said we want a website. And I said, I don't know how to do that. And they're like, We'll pay you. And I'm like, All right, okay. Sweet. Um money's great. Yeah. Right, exactly. And and it turned out I really loved it. So um as as you started to kind of research starting this company and and, and what it would take and, and the services you would offer, um, what did you end up what did you end up doing did you like look at these other two companies and like copy their services or so i'm weird um i know a lot of people do a lot of research and a lot of
1: competitive research and a lot of planning and we didn't do that I, i i frankly have never even been to their websites um what what you know, I might look at that and even get, like, intimidated, like, oh, my gosh, look at how amazing these companies are. Like, I'm going to compete with them. It's better to just be, I don't know, ignorant about mm-hmm. it, and so you don't even worry about it. And, and it, as a, you know, I have enough background in, in digital marketing where, or enough, enough exposure, where I knew if I was going to go read a bunch of other web content, like, I might accidentally steal some of it or copy it. And, and again, like they were definitely 100% targeting the enterprise and we weren't going to even do that. So I don't even know how useful it would have been, right? So what we did was we bought a few pallets of broken hard drives on eBay, uh, which is a thing you can do. Uh, and we tried to fix a whole bunch of them. And we decided, hey, if we can fix like 50% or 40% or get data off some of these, then we'll advertise that we do it. And we did, we, we were able to pull data off about half. And we said, okay, that's kind of good enough to launch a beta. And I, I still kept my day job, but you know, I threw up a kind of an ugly, crude looking website because again, UX at the time was not my, my forte. Um, but it was pretty simple. It's like, hey, hey, have you had a crashed hard drive or have you lost your stuff? Well, uh, we will take a financially risk-free look And if we can help you, we'll charge you $100. Wow.
0: And
1: uh, there's a reasonable chance we can't help you, but we know more about it than you do. (laughs) And it's financially risk-free. And nobody else is going to help you, you know, at all. And and it wasn't because I was trying to make a bunch of money at that price point because we weren't. I mean, we were going to lose money at that price point, but we were going to lose a small amount of money, right? Um, And we were going to learn the process. We were going to get exposure to casework. My intention was never to make money in the first couple years. And in fact, we didn't. You know, the company was always bleeding a little bit of money for probably the first two and a half years. Um, But the whole time, every month, we got better at the troubleshooting and we hired the right kind of people where we had those gaps in our engineering squad. And we bought all the right tools to, to help us through that. And we invested in our internal software processes to, to help do that stuff as well. And we got a nicer office and, you know, it was a, for me, I, I don't really do a lot of market research. Um, we knew that there was a need because we experienced it. Mm-hmm. And we just dived in. And I didn't know if it was going to be a three-month venture or a two-month venture or a six-year venture, or it turns out it's you know, 16 years and counting. Um, wow. And I didn't even quit my day job probably till like month seven, right? Where it was like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pay cut and just lose my steady income and try to live off what this business generates and take a paycheck for the first time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I did not do a lot of
0: product or marketing research. We just kind of dived into the pool and see what happens. Yeah, well, so I think that's really interesting uh, because, I mean, you essentially did something that um, I feel like people who make software can do a little bit easier, and that's like practice a bunch, right? Um, So I have two questions regarding the pallets of of broken hard drives you bought. The first is, did you find anything cool or did you just like figure out you could recover and then not really look?
1: Yeah, I mean... We, we destroyed all the data we found. I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just come yeah. out and say that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we found all kinds of just people's data, companies' data, um, stuff that they would probably be incredibly irritated if they knew that. And we don't even know how did it end up on that pallet, right?
0: Right, right, yeah. Um, they could have. You know, giving it to some store and then they were like, well, we can't do it. So we're just going to sell it. So all.
1: maybe they sent it to some like recycling center and that recycling center or some, there, there's like a undercur there's a, there's an industry where uh, companies will resell old IT equipment. Like it could have come from there where they tested them and they were dead. So they couldn't resell them. So they just chucked them on a pallet and threw it on eBay. Sounds like an incredibly stupid
0: idea. Right, especially because like there are ways that you can actually fully erase a hard drive, right? Like, well, not, not if they're dead. That's the problem. Oh, a I- oh, very in- okay, interesting, interesting.
1: So the the hard drives were dead, and they probably figured, well, they're dead, so nobody can pull data. If we can't zero film, nobody can access it, so mm-hmm. it's safe to chuck it up on eBay. But like the fifty three dollars they won in the auction, and like the three hundred dollars of shipping, which they didn't. Get to book like it, it <laughs> certainly was a very poor financial decision on their yeah. part, and they probably weren't anticipating that there'd be some lab of weirdos, you know, repairing, right. soldering the boards to put them back together, and diagnosing which chips were bad, and you know, breaking them open and switching the motors out. Like they would have not probably anticipated that. Um, certainly, if I was consulting with a company that was. Disposing of faulty equipment, I would not recommend chucking a pallet of them up on eBay.
0: That's right.
1: an incredibly stupid idea.
0: I, uh, I mean, I just, I just got rid of uh, my wife's college computer, and I like took a drill to the hard drive. Just, that's like, a good, that's drilled a, good a idea. Whole, Yeah, like she's like, "Do you need to do this?" I'm like, "Probably not, but I'm going to because I don't know what you have on there. You don't remember what you have on there." And
1: no, I mean, uh, a, a hammer. If you see the platters shatter or break or bend, or if you put a drill press through them, our, uh, if you call Gilware or Data Recovery and say, hey, you know, I've got a hard drive and it's been shot up with bullets or it's, got, it's been drill pressed a couple times, can you get the data back? Our answer will be, please don't send that to us. The answer is no, and,
0: and yeah. frankly, we're one of the best in the world. So drill presses work great. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon, Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account you only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to Pantheon.io today again to set up a free account. Pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. So my my follow up question then is I was going to ask if there are any telltale if there are telltale signs that you learned that okay this is recoverable this is not because you offered like a, a a free assessment essentially. What I did not realize while you were initially telling the story was you actually replaced pieces of the hardware to try to resurrect the hard drive.
1: Yeah, so almost every hard drive that comes to us or any solid state device that comes to us or any NAND chip on a phone or any USB stick or a big server, anything that comes to us has already had savvy IT people plug it in and try to mount it read only and try to run data recovery software. You know, we're never, Nobody ever says, hey, my hard drive is bad. I'm going to ship it across the country to Gilware. Like, that never happens. They always have their IT department at work or a a local break-fix computer repair store or a managed service provider. They always take the first crack. And then they say, oh, this thing is dead, dead. Like, it doesn't spin. The computer can't talk to it. It makes clicking noises. and, And that's when we get tagged in. So we only,
0: we get the worst of the worst stuff and have to deal with all kinds of problems. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's, that's very interesting. So, um, so before we move on, I just want to ask another question now when some, so first of all, do you still do that risk-free assessment or is it like, okay, cool. So how, how do you handle that? Like you get a hard drive. Do you have like pieces that you could swap in or can you like now kind of just look at the hardware and say like this is definitely like this is super dead um, well so
1: again it's just for some perspective so our engineering crew is about a dozen people and the average person back there has roughly like 15 to twenty thousand hours of troubleshooting experience wow so these guys are like storage whisperers you know like they can just if they if they were in the horse game or equestrian, they they can just look at the horse and tell you if it's going to win a race. Yeah, you know, I mean, they really, they're really really good. And uh, we've done over a hundred in like forty thousand in lab recoveries over the last sixteen years. So there's almost nothing we haven't seen before, almost. Yeah. And um, we also have a really well trained staff of we call them technical advisors. Where if people call us or they email us or they You know, chat us on a website and they give us a list of the equipment and the symptoms. We'll often be able to, I mean, we can't really say 100% certainty, but we'll say, oh, yeah, there's like a 99% chance we're going to get your stuff back and we can get the price even within a couple hundred dollars a lot of the time. And then sometimes people will call us and they'll describe something and we'll say, yeah, there's about a 5% chance we can help. You know, like if I got a call maybe four days ago where, a lady told me that she dropped her laptop and the hard drive sounded like a maraca. Mm. And that's because the platters in a laptop are glass and they had yep. shattered. Yep. And I told her there is almost a 0% probability anybody can help you. Cause I explained what we just talked about. Right. And um, so anyways, we do the best we can on the phone because every time we pay to ship something in, cause we, that's complimentary. And every time we talk to somebody for 20 minutes on a tech call, and every time our engineers have the device for kind of one to four hours, which is kind of the average assessment period, we pay for all that. That's it's mm-hmm. not it's it's free for them, but it's not free for us.
0: Right, so right. You're you're paying your engineers. It,
1: it's our, it's in our best interest to help be as transparent as we can, as early as we can, so that people don't send it in thinking it's going to be one price, and then we completely bamboozle them with something much different. That's not in our best interests. It's obviously not in their best interests. So, um, but anyways, they, they, they will see the equipment. And again, if it's like a, if it's like a, if it's an iPhone that's dead, Mm -hmm. they will break it apart. They will look at the motherboard. They'll put it under basically some special equipment so that we can see if any chips are getting too hot just visually. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, that one fuse that's always bad is smoking hot right now right you know so that's what that's the type of thing that the assessment does or we'll you know we'll assess the health of the platters themselves mm-hmm. so yeah it's clicking but the platters are perfectly pristine and clean so we know we don't exactly know how much effort it's going to be but if the platters are clean yeah right. we're going right. to be able to get your stuff 99 percent chance um so the assessment's just really all about we call it a feasibility study like, the engineers come back to our business unit with a feasibility report that says, you know, is this a 99 or a 100 or a 50 or a 5 or a 0? And the engineers basically have an estimate of the amount of work it's going to be and how much replacement parts are going to cost. And then we will basically tack on our 20%-ish margin is what we aim for. And then we'll present our customer with their bid. Like, yep, if you want your stuff back, it's going to cost $600 or whatever it is. And then they can say yeah that makes sense for me, or no, it doesn't. And if it does, we make a very short one page human readable contract that says if Gilway recovers ninety five or more percent of our pictures of our kids, we will pay them six hundred dollars and then our guys go to work and and do
0: the real engineering. Gotcha, gotcha awesome so um so uh we've we've talked a lot about the beginnings and your process a little bit uh, as we approach the um Kind of the tail end of this interview, uh, I want to turn it on to advice for the audience We've all uh probably have had at least a scare with a data breach or data loss um, or something like that A lot of the people who who listen to the show uh, make websites or have websites um, many of them run wordpress and and so uh, I know that WordPress is a, a a big target it's a big content management system um, what can Let's say, what can people do first to prevent data loss or a data breach? And then we'll get into, what if you didn't prevent it? What should I do next? A
1: couple, couple quick things, because a lot of your audience are WordPress. And again, Gilware, if you go to gilware.com, that's a WordPress site. Um, enable the two-factor plugin on WordPress, please, for the love of whatever you deem holy. Um <laughs> There, you know, you can go get a plugin, there's a number of different ones out there, but if all you need to log into your website is a username and password, you're gonna get breached. It's not a question of if, it's just, you're just waiting, okay? So, username and password, it's not good enough for WordPress, it's not good enough for anything. Um, Humans are bad at making passwords. Most people have one or two passwords for every freaking thing they do. You're going to be at a Starbucks, you're going to be on a fake Wi-Fi, or you're going to go you're going to get fished and go to the wrong gmail.com with like a ampersand instead of an a or something and you're going to put in your Gmail credentials with that with that password. What happens at that point is the bad guys have your IP address, they've got your Gmail, which can probably log that's probably your username everywhere. They've got a password that works for you. You are Boned at that point, right? Right. <laughs> so you have to enable two-factor authentication on every service that allows it. Obviously, Google does, Facebook does, Twitter does, WordPress. If you add the plugin, it's and it's super easy. It adds about five seconds of work every time you log in. You log in with your username and password, and then you have your Google Authenticator app on your phone, which is running a six-digit code that changes every thirty seconds. And if the bad guy gets your password but doesn't have the right million – they don't guess the right million-digit number, then they can't log on to your or your client's websites. And they can't encrypt all that data, hold it ransom, put a bunch of embarrassing stuff up there, put a bunch of weird stuff on your servers for other, like, child predators to be downloading from. All kinds of bad stuff can happen for even a – even on just the website side of things, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's just WordPress, right? Um, when it comes to the, the raw data and the videos and the pictures and the graphic design, one of our biggest customers on the recovery side of things is graphic designers. They've got thousands of designs they've made and they are terrible at backing them up. So what is a backup? You now you mentioned you had a, an external drive and you had a backblaze, you know, and you put a lot of your stuff up in the cloud. Yes, yes, and yes. You're you're in the 1%. Okay? 99% of people are doing it much worse than you. Um, the, the key is that, that, that those backups need to be automated. So you can't, ideally, you don't have to do anything. Your time machine from your Mac, that stuff's just happening. That's what you want. You know, and, and the backblaze is probably synchronized the same way. It's just happening all the time. That's what you want. Now, you wanna make sure that that Backblaze has a different username and password and different networking credentials. And if somebody hacked into your box, they can't also just go up to Backblaze and delete everything, you know? So you also want your backup to be, one of your backups to be offsite and you want it to have different network authentication to get on there. Um, And you also, and this is the painful part, especially for small business people who are so busy, um, but even big businesses don't do it adequately which is you should audit those backups. Once every six months, play a mock restore event where pretend you just lost all your stuff and understand, oh my gosh, my payroll data is not up there. Or, oh crap, you know, I was backing up one of my websites, but the other nine of my clients weren't getting backed up. You know, um, and a lot of people, they install some backup app on their, or plugin on their WordPress site, but they, when the crash happens, they have no idea what to do. Right. Well, I know I had a backup plugin, but I can't log into WordPress to
0: see it. Right. I, I yeah. can't even remember what the plugin's called. Yeah, and and to that point, if you're using a free one, they don't make it necessarily easy to do that either, right? Yeah. Some are gonna back it up to the same server where your right, website's thanks. already hosted, which is like which thanks is like silly. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, and
1: and we've had on the incident response side, by the way, we've had WordPress hosts get hacked and had all of the websites that are being hosted all got encrypted and the backups. So if your backup is happening to the same server, it's not a backup.
0: Right. Right.
1: And again, if your crash happens and you don't know what to do, then it's still no good. So if you make yourself hey listen, once every three months, I'm gonna spin up another WordPress instance and I'm gonna restore from that backup and I'm gonna walk through the process. You might find that you fully understand it, you've got it documented and it'll take you 15 minutes. Or if you've got a really complex environment, you might find that it's like five hours of work and that might be good information to know so that your clients Oh my gosh, we've had a crash. You can tell them, oh, it's going to be four hours. We're going to be back in four hours because you know how long it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, you also might find that you restore the site and it looks wonky. Oh crap, the, the style sheet's not backing up or whatever. Right. Really? You know, or the fonts are all cr- crazy. You know, so make sure your backup actually works and that you have like a one-sheet piece of paper. That has, like, this is the break glass in case of emergency. This is how we restore from a crash. This is the temporary site we're going to put it on. This is how we repoint the DNS. This is how we move the files around. You know, if you don't have that piece of
0: paper and you're getting paid to, like, host people's websites in your community, like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I that's, that's um, again, that's really fantastic advice. That's why... I always recommend hosts that will do the automatic backups for you. Um, Sometimes I get frustrated with one of my web hosts because it takes a long time to restore from a backup. But you know what? That means it is somewhere that's not the same machine that my website's already on, presumably. Yeah, yeah. and
1: and what you also find, because we've been talking about WordPress for a while, but that's great because a lot of your audience cares about this topic. But You know, a lot of times when you're looking at a WordPress host, it's like, oh, it's seven bucks a month for this plan. And it's like 30 bucks a month for this other plan. And almost everybody's going to choose the seven, but that 30 might have the, there's a phone number you can call and get support within 15 minutes. And the $7 a month plan is not going to have that. And you're going to be emailing. And there might be an eight-hour lag before you get that response and that support. You might get it, but it might be a long time. And again, as the advisor who's building people's websites and helping them pick hosts and things of this nature, and maybe even, you know, don't don't pass along the $7 charge to them. Pass along the 30 Right. And, you know, that's... You know, you're going to have some micro-sized businesses that are like, geez, it's an extra $200 a year, and that might be a big problem. But, boy, you know, I can give you the the other one, but I need you to clearly understand how long it's going to be if we do have a problem. And as as somebody that's a service providing that service, make sure you get that in writing. Like, dude, like when we signed up, I told you it might take one to three days to restore from a crash. You chose the cheap option, and here's your initials where you – bypassed my core product because again you have that conversation in 2019 maybe you signed him up in 2015 and he doesn't remember that and now he's incredibly
0: mad at you it's like no look at the contract you opted out yep absolutely and i'm i'm gonna i'll just interject here and say um try really hard at the beginning of a client project to get them signed up with backups and security maintenance so that you're maintaining it if, if that's something you want to do because uh, n- I'm going to say about 80% of the clients who get the, my security offering do it after they've had a breach or after they their website has crashed. I wasn't managing it um, and it crashed and something got messed up and then they decided to hire me. So they, they had to pay me to fix it and then they have to pay me even more to continue to maintain it. So, um, yeah, and, I, and I last know, little so, tiny
1: tip, yeah. and this is a really nitty technical thing, but if any of your listeners host like 50-plus websites or they have a couple big cornerstone clients with hundreds of employees that pay them a, re- a, lar- a relatively large amount of money to do this hosting and do this stuff, the other thing that I would usually advocate for is a lot of times you can pay that that WordPress host to set up, spend like an extra one to three hours configuring the IP range at which you can edit or even log into that server. So not the actual WordPress administrative page, mm-hmm. but the server that's hosting it. So so we have like a three-factor authentication. If somebody wants to get on to our WordPress instance, you know, first they have to be on our business network or a handful of our employees' home machines and with static IP addresses. Right. Second, you need a username and password. Third, you need the Google Authenticator token. So, and... and we could still get hacked, okay? Um, it's all about how uh, assertive or how focused a, a bad guy yeah, is. How, how vigilant they how, want to be. Yeah, how how, how intent they are on to, to hacking you. If they're super-duper intent, they might be out in our parking lot. You know, they might trick one of our employees to hack into our Wi-Fi somehow. They might pretend they're a janitor. Like, right. you're never fully safe, which is why you need those things like
0: restore plans. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. Now, small business owners wear a lot of hats. I know I am one of them. And while some hats are great, like doing this podcast and getting to talk to people, others, like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, are not so great. And that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. And as a New Yorker subplanted to Pennsylvania, uh, the not paying my local taxes thing bit me a couple of times. So it would be it would have been great to have Gusto then. Uh, plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits or even 401ks for your team. Oh, And you can get direct access to certified HR experts, too. This sounds like a pretty good way to kick off 2020 for your business, right? Uh, But here's the thing. Deadlines for the new year creep up earlier than you think, and you're going to want to get started now. I don't know about you, but I know that I've started thinking about this stuff around this time. And all of a sudden, February or March is here. And I'm like, I need to do something about my taxes. So don't wait. Let Gusto make it easier on you. As a bonus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. I certainly am. Uh, and you can try a bonus and see it for yourself over at Gusto.com build. So get three months free when you run your first payroll, try a demo and see it for yourself over at gusto.com build. Thanks so much to Gusto for their support of this show. So as we wrap up here, uh, I want to ask you two questions. Um, and the first one is uh, I, I generally ask people what their plans for the future of their business are, but I, instead I want to ask you what, what, what does the future hold for privacy and data recovery? If you were I, I know I'm kind of springing this question on you, but um, you know it's been it's been in the news a lot lately, especially with like Facebook. What are they doing? And Equifax is paying like billions of dollars or whatever. It's so only what like eight hundred million. Oh, oh, all right, <laughs> so like almost a billion, right? Um, almost cool, in in the words of uh, Justin Timberlake. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, what's the future hold for, for data and privacy?
1: Well, I think consumers are starting to wake up to a couple things, right? You have Equifax, which was, you know, if they're not the biggest credit bureau in the world, they're close. Um, they, what might surprise people is that I think they had, and I don't know the exact number, but I think they had over 80 people. Uh, I did a quick search on LinkedIn after the breach just to see how many security professionals worked at Equifax, and I think it was like 80 or 100. It was like a large wow. number. Um, there's a I search like if anybody uses this LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you can pretty much just say like show me anybody that works at Equifax with like this acronym CISSP on their on their yeah. profile, and it was like boom. It was like it was a lot of people. So they were they had the right staffing and they were spending the appropriate amount of money to protect it. They still lost all of it. Right. Um, and Facebook clearly is one of the most profitable companies in the world. They have literally, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of software engineers and they have a wonderful privacy and security staff. Right. And and all this stuff happens, you know, like, it's really hard for a consumer to trust your personal information with these companies. And with Equifax, you you didn't, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. You, you didn't even sign a piece of paper that said, hey, Equifax, here's all my information and sell it to people. They just aggregated right. it. Right. And then they lost it. Yep. And they got they... fined a tiny amount of money in the grand scheme of things.
0: Right. And especially, I mean, especially in the business they're in. Yeah, they, um, they
1: should have been, yeah. it should have been five or 10 billion. It should have really right. hurt. It should have nearly,
0: yep. there was three credit bureaus yesterday. There should be two now. Right. They should be done. Yep. And to that point, I think Facebook has to pay $5 billion. Yeah. Or whatever, you know? right? And again, yeah.
1: but when you have like 50 billion in the checking account, it's really not that big a deal. Um, right, right. in the grand scheme of things. and But at least with Facebook, people uh, you know opted in to put themselves on the platform and it was free. Right. And I think most consumers these days do understand that, well, it's free because they're selling my information to advertisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of your listeners advertise on Facebook. I advertise on Facebook. And it's very nice. Yeah. I can say, I want to put this message in front of people that meet this criteria with this job title and this demographic and they've been in their position this many years and they're 40 to 50 years old. It's wonderful as an advertiser. Right. But, you know, people need to be uh, the regulatory nature. I would think if, if I wasn't so skeptical that, yeah, we're going to really wake up as a country and our politicians are going to really put the screws to these people. And yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think that the companies are evolving much faster than, than politicians can react. And these companies are deeply embedded in the political system. Um, they have tremendous uh, spending power for lobbyists and they, in a lot of ways are getting ahead of it themselves to try to proactively write and help with the regulatory nature. Like, Facebook's probably going to write a lot of the regulations. Equifax might even be writing a lot of these regulations that are then going to be regulating them. I mean, the odds of this getting better in the near term, I think, are probably zero. So, um, you know, if the biggest companies with the hugest budgets in the world can't keep the data protected... um, who can, you know, now I'm not saying that people shouldn't take the baby steps like we were talking about with WordPress and you shouldn't have two factor to log into your email and you shouldn't back up your data offsite and you, yeah, you need to do all these things. And I I don't know. I mean, where does it all go? Um, I think it's going to be exactly how it is for the next 10 years. And maybe in the future, there'll be a new wave of politicians that are tech savvy, and they grew up with this stuff, and they understand it, and they'll pass regulations with teeth, right? Um, mm. But but I, I really don't see much changing.
0: Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, well, on that uh, happy note. That uh, depressing, I, horrifying note, yeah. I will ask you in our last minute or so here, uh, do you have any trade secrets for us?
1: Um yeah, I mean we've kind of been talking about it. Bad stuff happens in business. Um and especially on the IT side of things, you're playing the game. You're on the field of battle. You, you know, you you plug in that network cord to your computer and somebody's going to be trying to to hack it in 5 minutes. It's just kind of the way it works. Mm. Um And with all these smart devices, probably people are trying to hack your refrigerator, you know. Mm -hmm. And I wish I was even joking about that, but I'm not. You're not. No, you're definitely not. There's people who are listening to this right now who's like, refrigerator is probably crypto. It's probably mining cryptocurrency. Right. And you're like, why is my (laughs) electric bill, you know, up by 30 bucks? And it's well, because the motherboard and your stupid refrigerator has been mining cryptocurrency for somebody in the Ukraine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, well, by the way, it's going to melt. You know, so right. uh, bad stuff happens. And you can bury your head in the sand, hope it doesn't happen to you. And that is a horrifying attitude. Um, it's intimidating. A lot of this technical mumbo jumbo is super intimidating to people, especially business owners really get embarrassed about not knowing the terminology. And it's the, the task can be so. How do. It's so daunting, like, where do I even start? And that can create like a reverse inertia where people don't. And listen, um, you know, if anybody's watching at home, you know, buy this thing, it's a YubiKey. I don't have any relationship with them. It is like a password management system and it kind of, it's almost passwordless. It's called, it's a new UTF protocol. You can buy it on Amazon, they're like 50 bucks. And then use this to log in everywhere. And the bad guys are not gonna physically have that. Buy two of them so you can put a backup of that as well. Um, (laughs) Encrypt your data on your computers. Back up your data. Have those disaster recovery plans. And you can do it. Take baby steps. Um, Anything you do is better than nothing. Please, you know, take it seriously. Understand that people are trying to hack you right now. And that's, this is, like, sometimes in business, we have these, like, fake boogeymen. Right. Or we try to paint a picture of, like, oh, if you don't buy this product, you're going to get wrinkles or whatever, you know, this is not this is not that. I mean, there are, I think the the latest estimate was like four or five billion dollars lost due to hacks uh, in 2018. And it's happening to micro-sized businesses, normal people, WordPress hosts, you know, it's happening to everybody. So Try to try to take some time out of your day to take it seriously. Do a little research and at least do the basics of strong passwords or a UTUF key. Make sure your backups are there and you have a plan. It's not mm-hmm. really a trade secret. I think yeah. I think most people listening say, "Yeah, it has been like six months since I've done a backup."
0: Cool, cool, um, great. That's that's fantastic advice. Um, so, uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can email me, Brian at Gilware. Um, you call Gilware. I mean, I, we're, we're here. I don't I'm not I'm not hiding. So uh, if you have any questions or concerns or, you know, want to get some
0: product recommendations or know what kind of baby steps you might want to take, feel free to reach right out. Awesome. Uh, I will link those things and everything we talked about in the show notes today. Brian, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks a bunch, Joe. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much to Brian for joining us today. I love, love, love how he and his friends basically bought a bunch of dead hard drives to practice on to see if they can recover that data. I wonder uh, exactly. I mean, we talked about this during the show, but it's interesting to see Uh, resurrect something that somebody thought was dead and unrecoverable Uh, very fun Uh, thanks again to our sponsors Ahoy, Gusto, and Pantheon they make the show happen so you should go check them out and thank them Uh, if you want to learn more about Brian and see all of the show notes, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash 141 And if you want to create a podcast like this for yourself, it's a question I get a lot. How did you start your podcast? Where do I start? Uh, I created a nifty workbook to help you do that. You can get that free podcasting workbook over at howibuilt.it slash liftoff, as in podcast liftoff, as in liftoff your podcast today. That's howibuilt.it slash liftoff. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.